Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey Really the only thing that gon' be normal is distribution Normal folks gon' infuse some Optimize your lineups in your feed the rest you mute them Turning it up, these numbers are loud Peeping this game from a Nimbus is wild Making it, making it rain While I embrace all this risk, I'm insane Talking about that best bell I'm the best, best, best tell Into the next world Guess I got next still Best bell, I'm the best, best, best till Into the next world Guess I got next still And welcome to the Best Bell Fantasy Football Podcast and Livestream. I'm Bradley Stalder on the Player Profiler Network with me special guest Todd Burroughs from Sharp Best Bell Show. Todd it's so great to have you on tonight. I appreciate you joining me talking to best ball. Absolutely. Always glad to talk and chop it up with you, Bradley. We've had some big risers since last week. Todd, every week I do this show. And the first thing I do is talk about big risers and fallers. And, and we look and we see some of the biggest risers relative to ADP have been some running backs, Nick Chubb and Austin Eckler in particular, not moving like the amount of ADP, but highest relative to percentage. We have seen some some other shifts later, but is this just normal ebb and flow of the offseason for Chubb and Eckler, or is there some larger macro view, do you think, about these elite running backs getting pushed up a little bit? I, I think that with once you get past about 16, 17 guys, It's really flat for a while. So when you look at the opportunity that Nick Chubb has, he's risen to the front end of that tier. And rightfully, I tend to like him better on sites like Underdog or Half PPR. He literally could be the number one running back in the league. Eckler is, I think, what we're seeing is the result of him getting his contract worked out with the Chargers and people it's taken away that little bit of uncomfortability is that a word from from people and that's moving him back up to where he probably should be yeah certainly we've seen Eckler move up over the last couple weeks due to the due to the contract he was getting drafted heck even last week I drafted him at the at the one two turn so 
getting Eckler here, moving him up a little bit. I think I agree with you. It's it's the market reacting more positively to his to his contract, but his teammate is right next to him. Keenan Allen is bumping up a little bit. Is this maybe it's not just the running back thing? Maybe it's the Chargers as well. Is there like a general sense of optimism for the Chargers? Are people realizing that they play the Broncos in Week 17? Is that like a a phenomenon that's existing? That, that certainly is a pretty good matchup, and I feel like a lot of times there's an ebb and flow to value, and it and sometimes goes week to week, month to month, and sometimes year to year. So last year, Justin Herbert was going, I think, quarterback three for most of the offseason. And that was a price I wasn't willing to pay. Now you can get Eckler and or one of Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and still come back and get Justin Herbert in the fifth, sixth round, depending on the, the site that you're on. I, I feel like Justin Herbert is a really good value. And again, ADP tends to be pretty efficient, and we see two phenomenons in the June-July period. We see people, because there is no news, people spend more time studying, and, and then there's also just craziness that you, you need to ignore. I think the Chargers move is one that's based on people catching up to the opportunity more than it just being a, a slow news cycle or a, a, a picture of a guy running in shorts. And there had been rumblings in the offseason, too, about Keenan Allen being cut from the team or you know, Quinton Johnson. There's the new shiny toy. How is he going to be affecting this wide receiver group? But now that things are, I agree with you, settling and people are doing their research. And every day it, it seems like I'm coming out of the timeline and seeing I've got these new projections and, and the research is being done. I, I agree with you. The The Chargers could be a very nice value. And if you've got a comeback around for one of the Broncos, whether it is Judy early or whether it's Sutton later, I think that that might be an interesting way in which we could be attacking this Week 17 game. There's two things about projections that I want to talk about. One of the huge advantages for a guy like me who's not as spreadsheet savvy and, and projection savvy is, is twofold. Projections get much more accurate as we get more actionable information within the season. So the, after three to four weeks, we pretty much know the roles of the players and a lot of the questions that we wondered about all offseason get answered. Best ball, we're projecting what that will be. But even if your projections are really good for best ball, those are median projections. Best ball scoring is based on whether you get a usable score each week and how many points you give above usable, right? I, I've talked a lot this year about my form, which defines a percentage of usable weeks that each guy has had and then points above usable, because those are the things that matter to me more than a median projection for best ball, because we need to advance, but we also want players who can give us spikes and blending a team so that you have both floor and ceiling is part of being good at best ball. I agree with you there. It's, it's important to recognize that 
the zeros for your week don't really matter. Like you're hoping that some other player is going to come in and set step into well, that they starting do, they role. They do matter. They do yeah. matter. That because like last year before he got hurt, Cooper Cup had a hundred percent usable weeks. Justin Jefferson, I'd have to look, but it, it was it was right around ninety, maybe even a little lower. And Cooper Cup also gave you one point a week more points above usable. So we want guys who give you usable weeks and we want guys who give. So it's that balance of trying. I don't want a bunch of zeros. I want guys who are going to give me points every week to move my overall team towards advancement. But I also want those spike weeks. So it really it's not something that's easily defined when you're drafting because you need both. But how much of each do you need? And that's one of the conver- inner conversations I have with myself as I draft. This is really important stuff. Before we move on to the biggest fallers, I, we have a word from Matt Kelly about underdog fantasy. Let's take a moment to talk about underdog fantasy. Now, many of you have already signed up. Thousands have signed up from Player Profiler already over the years. Underdog has supported us since 2020. Much of what you on Player Profiler is because of Underdog, because of their support. Get the Underdog app, plug in that promo code UNDERWORLD. I used to play Underdog just for the best ball drafts. The best ball drafts are amazing. These draft rooms fill so quickly, and you can win life-changing money. You want to take advantage of all the sleepers we talk about on this show? What better place than in an Underdog draft room to do that? And I recommend taking your underdog play to the next level by diving into their NFL pickums. It's important to correlate those NFL pickums. You can pick both the quarterbacks and the wide receivers to exceed expectations. Correlate them, and you can five extra payout. Bada bing, bada boom. Underdog Fantasy. The promo code is Underworld for an instant deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Underdog is the truest friend of the Underworld. That's right. Use promo code Underworld on Underdog Fantasy. Todd, before we get into the farthest fallers over the last week, one player that had jumped a lot but leveled out this week, surprisingly, was Alexander Madison. His ADP leveled at 65.7 in the sixth round, and it made sense that he was jumping over the last couple weeks because of Dalvin Cook and the rumblings that Cook would get cut, and finally Cook does get cut by the Vikings. But why do you think it just stopped at 65.7 are are there other concerns that the vikings are going to bring in someone or is this just what the market is viewing is the ceiling for alexander madison a lot of really smart people on twitter are pro madison but here are my thoughts madison accrued those big numbers with a coaching staff and a blocking scheme that are no longer there it was a small sample to begin with but for certain, the current scheme is not as friendly to running back as the old scheme. The threat of a veteran signing, as you mentioned, including the chance that that veteran is Dalvin Cook. They showed that they wanted to keep him and they wanted him to take a lower salary. I think there's a very good chance that the guy who ends up back there is Dalvin Cook. And three, we've seen over and over again, less efficient running back who shine in small sample sizes fail with bigger workloads. Madison had 3.8 and 3.7 yards per carry over the last two years. Now, before you tell me that yards per carry don't matter, over the last three years, Madison averaged at least a half a yard 
and as much as a yard less per carry than Dalvin Cook in the same system. So I think he was too expensive about two and a half rounds ago. The fact that he finally stopped does nothing for me, and I am completely ignoring him at ADP. I agree with you, Todd. I, I was probably leveling out at about 80 when his ADP was about there, but I was getting Alexander Madison shares at like 100, 110 earlier in the offseason. But there's just, it's only downside from this point. And you mentioned small sample size and he's an inefficient runner. Like those are all reasons that uh, a smart, uh, a sharp, a smart player like yourself would be out on Alexander Madison. I agree with you that maybe the market is catching up, but I also wonder if, yeah, we'll see. Who and the more there. important founding father was Jefferson, not Madison. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> awesome. We will shift here into the furthest fallers since June. Maybe they'll 12. get Adams and then we'll really have a whole founding father's Viking team. I know Madison isn't Madison, guys, but it's <laughs> close enough for the humor. I still appreciate it, Todd. The furthest faller since last week is Travis Etienne. Now, that's surprising for me because a couple weeks ago was when the Tank Bigsby rumblings was happening, not this past week. So for him to be falling, is this related to the Tank Bigsby dynasty hype? Or is this just, once again, we mentioned earlier that sometimes there's rise, sometimes there's fall for these running backs as we move throughout the offseason? I mentioned that you get two different types of movements during this year, the ones that make sense and the ones that make no sense. So I was not on Travis Etienne in the early to mid third round, but I've been scooping and trying to catch up in the fourth. And I've, I think I even got him once in the fifth round, him and Jameer Gibbs were both guys I wasn't touching. And now both of them are regularly mid fourth, and Gibbs is even going in the fifth round at times. It is a wonderful time to build up because nothing's changed. Right. The only thing that changed is that Twitter decided to love Tank Bigsby. And I like Tank Bigsby. I think he was, if it wasn't for Tajay Spears, I'd have a lot of Tank Bigsby. I think he is a good play. But Etienne's role isn't going to change from last year too much and i think he is a buy at his current adp yeah i I just took my first couple shares this past week of travis etn i was able to hop in the underdog streets when i traveled to cleveland i was able to get a a few shares of etn at at mid fourth round price i wasn't able to get a fifth rounder though todd so you're you're quite fortunate there i I might not i might be getting my gibbs and my etn shares mixed up but I, I and, and again, one of the tricks is when guys are falling and you're doing a lot of drafts, if I see him where he normally goes, even though I've come around on him a little, I still won't draft him because I know that with volume, I'll get them a little bit later. That's another one of those areas where I have some a bunch of guys that I, I don't love. I think Watson is at the end of his value. I think Debo, it could be a trap. But Gibbs and ETN, especially on DraftKings and FFPC with full PPR, you know, I love taking like starting out with a bunch of wide receivers. And that's the problem with Eckler and why I'm not taking much CMC, Eckler or Bijan. It's not that I don't like them. I do. 
But on the sites where wide receivers have been really pushed up, there is an opportunity cost. And you have to mix them in. But right now, I'm loving the fourth, fifth, sixth round running backs. Same here. I'm, it, it feels really good in, in the DraftKings that I started out three wide receivers or three out of the first four. And you just hammer the wide receiver position. And then you've got some real values because you might have pushed down some running backs too because of ADP. So nevertheless, we'll keep her moving with Jalen Hyatt. Here's the second for this faller. I think there was some camp news that came out this past week about Hyatt working behind a lot of the veteran wide receivers. And, and that makes sense. The giants brought in a lot of vets, Sterling Shepard. They re-signed, they brought in Jamison Crowder, Wanda Robinson's on his way back. Paris Campbell has gotten a lot of positive buzz. They traded for Darren Waller. It just seems like this isn't going to be Jalen Hyatt's year, along with Darius Slayton, like playing virtually the same role. So maybe this is the market continuing to po- correctly react to camp news. I, I, I'm more out on Jalen Hyatt if he's even still at 160th overall. Not me. I disagree with you on that one. I was buying Hyatt in my Daniel Jones stacks when he was lower. And now I'm starting to consider him elsewhere. So think it, think this through, right? When you draft best ball teams in tournaments, you're counting on your first 10 to 12 picks to get you to the playoffs, right? You have to start, th- and this is something I wasn't good at that I've gotten better at. You have to start thinking about those last three weeks and a guy like Hyatt, even if he ends up starting behind those guys. And 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 it's all an illusion now anyway, because rookies are always going to start behind. And that's why I don't buy a lot of rookie hype in the post-draft. Like, I haven't taken a, a, an Addison share yet. There's some guys you have to take, but a, a guy like Hyatt has that game-breaking ability that you can crave right? He's that guy who can catch two long touchdown passes in week 17 and make you $3 million. So I, I am not afraid to take of him, take him. And again, it depends on who my other wide receivers are, who my quarterbacks are, where my week 17 correlations are, but don't be afraid of explosive guys late just because they might not start the year out with a regular role. And that's a fair point, Jalen Hyatt. I believe it was a late third round pick, right? Yeah, um, and, and, and there was talk of him being a first round pick. But was. then they started finding flaws in his game and that he was a very manufactured guy, that they really manufactured touches for him. And I thought to myself, Brian Dable just won coach of the year because of how good he was at manufacturing touches for people. So... Anyway, that, that's my thoughts on, on Hyatt. Yes, I know that. But again, I'm not going to have more than 15% of them probably. And maybe somewhere in that 8 to 15 range I'll end up. But I'm comfortable that those teams that I'm taking shots on him on, that he can give me that two to three big weeks I need during the regular season to pay off. And then I'm playing with house money with an explosive player in the playoffs. Yeah, so I think that you're starting to change my mind here on Jalen Hyatt. Maybe I need to sprinkle in a little bit more of Hyatt here. 
The last player, the furthest faller, this is underdog being underdog reacting to to the only news that exists in the offseason. Stefan Diggs missed one offseason training practice where there might be some disgruntlement and he drops just a little bit. But when you're in that top round, you're it depends on the draft, it depends on what that drafter is coming into into their draft wanting and if Eckler is bumping up and other running backs are being bumped up, th- then someone has to be bumped down. So I'm not reading too much into this digs like minuscule drop here in this first round. I think the it, whatever opportunity there was, and, and there were some mid-second round dig sightings in certain drafts, it, it passed. Supposedly, it's over. He was one of my most owned first round guys simply because I can't get top three picks on a regular basis. I get like five to 11 almost every draft and some 12s and a sprinkle of one, two, and three. But he's a guy that I like either with Josh Allen or without Josh Allen. And Josh Allen has been dropping and I've started scooping him in that range. I was telling you about once you get past Andre, it it really gets dicey. So I don't mind taking... Josh Allen without digs and then trying to get some of the later weapons because Josh Allen can get there without a wide receiver. Oh, he certainly can. Allen was a top three in rate of top five weeks last year among all quarterbacks. So you can draft him naked. I think that's a great, a great suggestion. When I prefer him with clothes on. I, I do think that. No, just, <laughs> okay. Haley Steinfeld. <laughs> is, is he dating her? Yeah. I think I saw that. (laughs) Nevertheless, the Josh Allen jokes don't stop, but we're also not going to stop. We're going to keep going. Remember that Josh Allen played through. I mentioned this on another pod. Josh Allen, people are really good at figuring in injuries if a guy misses games because, well, points per game. But look at a guy like Mark Andrews who came back and clearly wasn't himself. Josh Allen, who clearly wasn't himself. The field is not as efficient at figuring in those kinds of things. Josh Allen played through a pretty significant elbow injury last year. He did, and we saw that affect Diggs in the second half of the season. We saw it affect the whole offense. He was clearly missing passes against the Bengals near the end of the season. I'm comfortable taking Josh Allen. You mentioned that he's fallen, but this is... I think the first week where we didn't see significant falling of quarterback, it's pretty settled. I've seen Mahomes go at the end of the second, beginning of the third, and then Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen float in the mid to end of the third. Theo Greminger and I drafted Jalen Hurts at 309 a week and a half ago. And he's the one who I find it hardest to, to drop simply because you there's two guys that to stack them with. Right. That Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown. That's the one of the three that I, I find the hardest to to see drop. I, I've, I've done a couple drafts where I had Jamar Chase and I came up in the second round and the Kelsey guy, guy passed on him. And I passed on him in the second, took someone else. One draft, I took Higgins. One draft, I took Pollard. And both times I was able to come back with Mahomes in the third round. That's that's another one of those situations that I like to talk about where I like sometimes risking it to see if I can 
get a guy to drop a little further so that I can get something a little more unique. The guy that I really like and that I think the whole every he's dropped the most and he's still dropping now fifth round Justin Fields. Mm, yeah, yes. It, it, one, if you take out the five games that they before they unleashed Justin Fields, he tied Patrick Mahomes with 9.3 points per game above usable. Okay. Which means he was tied for the number one most valuable quarterback in those weeks. He now has better weapons, better offensive line. I think he showed that he can throw. People keep telling me he can't, even though we've seen time and again where people say that. And then, but he's shown flashes where he can place the ball really good. I really like Justin Fields in the fifth. Yeah, Justin Fields in the fifth. He's one of the quarterbacks that has pathway to be quarterback one overall. I think it's him, it's Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts. I think that Josh Allen can still do it and Mahomes as well. I don't know if Burrow has quarterback one overall in his range of outcomes with those others in in play, though. I was looking at 40-point weeks, mm-hmm. and I think, I think it was seven total 40-point weeks last year. Fields had two of them. Yep, Fields had right? two. And that was, again, between week six and week when he got hurt was week 16. 40 point uh, weeks will win you the week by himself. That and and that uh, we're in the business of trying to find guys who can give us those ultimate must have spike weeks and he can get there without one of his weapons. His running gives you a floor. I Lamar Jackson, have you noticed him moving up? Yeah, he's he's he was moving down and then he's now moving back up. I think it's Him because of the turn to, to go next to each other. And now I'm finding fields 18, 20 picks after Lamar. Yeah. It's, I think if you're thinking Lamar, you should probably also consider Justin Fields as the, as the backdrop. I, I like that call there, Todd. Thank you. We're going to get into today's lesson and it's going to be focused on some questions that I have for Todd here. And For Todd, you're really good at creating these structures while you're drafting and and making sure, I think you call them bumpers, but it's just ways for you to avoid mistakes. And if you're avoiding mistakes, you're probably going to be hitting pretty well most often. So we're going to get into a couple of these bumpers and and some questions that may be able to help our audience. I I, I call them guardrails. Guardrails, yes. Yes, to keep you on the road. So the first question about guardrails, what are these guardrails or structures that help you avoid mistakes in best ball? Like what are just a couple of them that are? The biggest one is basic roster construction, two to three quarterback on an 18 team draft. It's two to three quarterbacks, five to six running backs, seven to nine wide receivers and two or three tight ends. Those are the guardrails. It's very basic. You're not going to be an expert driver because you stay on the road, but you have to stay on the road to not kill yourself. That That's what I mean by guardrails. Now, does that mean I'll never draft a four running back team? No, I will, but I will do it in a way where I'm maximizing the effectiveness of a four running back build. But 
to, to make things easy for people who are starting out, you should know that those are your basic guardrails per position of how many you want. And then you need to move past that to start understanding about how to properly weight each position group so that you, you don't have really weak areas that are going to drag your team down. All right. Great. Yeah. I think the the roster construction is going to be a big one. Another thing that you do, and I know that you, you've done this in the past, talking about tier-based drafting, because we've, we've seen in many fantasy, fantasy football spaces that fantasy analysts will have their own tiers. What goes through your drafting process and your tiers when you're preparing for best ball drafts? I'm not the most... So basically what I do when I'm on I'm drafting is I let's say I make a pick and it says you have you're up in 15 picks. So I know I've got 15 15 guys are going to go before I pick again. So what I do is I'll just click really quickly those 15. Then I will sort it by my ratings and look to see if there's a few other guys that I want to consider. I'll also look at week 17 correlations. And then I will fill my queue so that I have enough people so that I know someone I want is going to be on the board. Tears is for me, there are the tiers that, that's the tiers that the board gives you. But then I also have tiers in my own mind of players who I think should be in that range. Let's say back when Travis Etienne was going in the mid-third round, I didn't think he was worthy of that tier. So to me, he's not a guy I'm going to draft because I don't want to drop a tier to take a player unless there's some like really good correlation or there's nobody else that I have a tier above them. So the value of tiers is to keep in mind basic ADP value so that you're putting as much value on your teams as possible. So you mentioned week 17 correlation or stacking possibly as way reasons you would deviate from the tiers. How often do you deviate from your your initial tiers when you do that initial tier and then the 15 picks goes by like how often are you saying you know what i'm just sticking with what i originally planned and set up for or am i making a pivot here based on what i'm presented or the way the board has fallen it's a matter of kind of an internal feel right and every situation is different all right when i'm like two picks away i'll i'll look at what's going on. And I'll, I'll weigh in my head. All right. I've got this correlation and I've got this player. Is this correlation going to be enough to make up for the value that I'm giving up or, or not? And that, and that's within the, the confines of the individual draft that I'm in. Right. It's like when you're good at, let's say judo, a lot of it is feel of how to turn someone's weight and gain an advantage. Right. And, and the more you practice, the better you get at that. And not everyone is good at it. There are some people who need to stick to numbers because their internal, that's not their strength. Their strength might be a spreadsheet. 
But for me, I'm weighing a lot of factors. So I can't give you like a simple guide to how to do it. But I, I will tell you that as the draft goes along, I'm and especially and again, it turn it depends on the tournament. When I'm in the FFPC, I'm much less likely to do it because you can win the FFPC tournament without. I came in fourth, and I I didn't have a lot of stacks or correlations. The guy who won didn't have a lot of stacks and correlations. You're in a final with seventy other guys versus four fifty or twelve fifty with the other sites. I'm much more willing to reach for a stack or a correlation on those sites. And then as the draft goes on, once I get past the 15th round, I'm willing to jump a round or two if I feel that it's the right player for that team, not just correlated or stacked, but that I've, I've got an internal value on that guy that I like as well. At that point, ADP becomes much less important to me, especially now, because I know that by the time we get to August, a lot of it will change anyway. And I found that I'm pretty good at, at that part of it. So like a guy like Tajay Spears, I, at, at certain points, I was taking him around it too early because I was so high on him. Once I built up enough ownership that I, I stopped doing that, I didn't need to. So it's it's i wish i could give you like a real simple answer but i gave you a bunch of different things to think about that go into my process for sure and as you're we have a lot of different tournaments that we're drafting in and so weighing all of those possibilities from tournament to tournament is something to that that's really important to keep in mind because as you mentioned if you're only competing against a small field you're, it's more that do you just have the best players? Whereas right. if you've got a large final, there the reason why a lot of those people got to the finals because they also had the same players. So that those particular stacks. Well, that's that another strategy factor that I've tried to take to the next level of mm-hmm. blending my teams so that I have. One way you can do that is taking two guys on the same team without the quarterback. A couple years ago, Mark Andrews got me and the FFPC tournament final two years ago. I think it was 10 or 11 out of 12 teams had Mark Andrews. I was the only guy, me and one other guy were the only of the 12 who had Marquise Brown, Mm. who was on the same team at the time. Now, neither one of them went off on that week. But the fact that I had Hollywood... If he had gone off, everyone, all anyone would have been talking about was how that stack, that secondary thing, how Andrews got me there and then Hollywood won me the money. Those are the kinds of things you want to experiment and think about and try and build into your team's kind of sneaky upside to leverage that, especially on underdog. Yeah, and there are now there are some people who have been tracking the BBM for at least some submitted boards and just seeing what how common stacks are. So an article that I that's coming out soon for Player Profile that I wrote are some under the radar stacks, and one of them I'm just going to throw it out here. Spoiler alert for everybody. Hope you read the article. Is Jalen Hurts and Devonta Smith? They're only stacked about 18 percent of the time versus A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts is 30%, 
and Hertz and Goddard is at 37%. So if you're stacking, having that Smith Hertz stack, it's going to be more unique. And then maybe you sprinkle in some other players as well, but the field is much more likely to be stacking and using those, that information might be to your advantage. Although it's very early in the process. I wonder if that might be more valuable as we get closer to the start of the season, Todd. I'm going to go in a different direction with this. There's a lot of things from DFS that translate very well to best ball. And one of the things that I learned from a guy named Zandemir on one week season that he would always talk about is just by adding one other player to the stack. Now it's, it's not apples to apples because in DFS, everyone in your lineup is being used where in best ball, you know, just by adding another Eagle doesn't mean you've really differentiated yourself, but let's say you've got Devonta Smith and Goddard on the same team. I almost guarantee you that if you did ran those numbers, just that extra addition of one other player would knock that 37% of Goddard down to about 7%. Yeah, right? probably. So the, the, the add a Kenny gain late, right? What if Gainwell gets you 15 points and 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 that 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 gets you the 15 points that you need to get to the top? So what you're saying is important and we should look at that, but we also want to take I still want AJ Brown, I still want Goddard, and a lot of times I can't get them with I can't get what I want. Right. So if I take Goddard and I know he's that owned, I'm going to be looking for either a unique week 17 piece or another eagle late that I can add to try and change that dynamic. And it could be just something as simple as that that takes you from 37% down to 15% and, and, and where the A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith are. I, I love that conversation. We'll keep it going, though. Question number three does tie into it. How important is stacking in your draft process? I know you've hit on stacking already. It might vary, and we might have different strategies for different stacks, but are, do you weigh or value different teams' stacks? Maybe even as you are given your draft spot, if you're drafting out of the 109, for instance, are you already thinking to yourself, maybe I'll be able to get like a, a Brown and and Hertz, Brown and Hertz stack, or I'll be able to get a Diggs and an Allen stack. Is that already going through your mind at the beginning of the draft? Or are you just letting the board come to you? Like, how is that going through your mind? Week 17 correlations and stacks are on my mind from the second draft starts. So I don't want every Devonte Adams stack to have Jonathan Taylor, but boy, the fact that they play week 17 is a nice tiebreaker. And then sometimes I'll add Michael Pittman in who I think is too cheap. And now I, or, or Jacoby Myers, if I don't get Pittman and, and now I've taken that stat, even if I don't have the quarterbacks, now I've got a, a nice week 17 correlation with, a unusual piece. Yes, Mike Leone in his best ball manifesto has talked about how stacking has become table stakes. You only gain like a 12% advantage by stacking 
because 88% of the people are stacking on their teams. But how you do it, how intelligently you do it, and having that mindset from the first pick is important. It isn't always going to work out, but you want to start thinking about, okay, if I have digs, do I want to take Josh Allen in the second or am I, they play New England. If I can't get Josh Allen, maybe I want to draft Diggs later because if he goes ninth, 10th, or 11th, that means I can get Ramondre in the beginning of the third. Now I've got a week 17 correlation. And if I get Josh Allen, great. If I don't, I don't. Those are things that you do want to be thinking about right out of the gate. And you also want to be thinking about Later, how can I change it a little bit more so that I'm not because it's not going to be unique having Diggs, Josh Allen, Ramondre. That's right. not going to be that unique. But throwing in a Cahill, Khalil Shakir, throwing in a Damian Harris, throwing throwing in one or two other guys without going crazy and feeling like you have to own the whole team is something I, 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 I put a lot of thought into. How often do you super stack? Or is there like a threshold for how many players from a particular team or a comeback around that you're willing to have for a particular build? Mike Leone covers this. You should read his manifesto. Typically, but at the same time, you have to realize that best ball, the sample size is still so small. One of my sayings this year, and it's a DFS thing. In DFS, everyone uses optimizers to make their teams, right? If you're running 100 teams, you ain't doing it by hand. You're using an optimizer. So one of my sayings this year is be the optimizer. So in general, I don't want to overstack games or teams because unless I'm getting really good value, right? If I get two bills, if I get Diggs and Allen, do I feel the need to have Gabe Davis? I don't. I like Dawson Knox, who I think is a good deal late. Sometimes I'll mix in Kincaid. But the point is, every once in a while, I, I do want to have that eight guys from Cincinnati and, and the Chiefs. But in general, I don't, I'm not going to try and do that with a lot of my teams. But I think it would be pretty cool to wake up on week 17 and have one team that somehow, because the more you load up like that, the more likely you don't get to the, to the end. But boy, right. how nice would it be to wake up on week 17 and have five or six guys from that game? It would feel pretty nice. It would feel pretty nice. Question four, you mentioned it earlier. There are some tiebreakers when you are you're drafting. What are some tiebreakers that you consider when you're choosing between players in the same tier? This ties into my overall philosophy of not owning more than 25% of players, especially in the, the first 10, 12 rounds, and not more than 15% of players in the first two rounds. Due to the fact that injuries, any any you, you talk about numbers, and I know you and Billy do numbers, projections. If you have a guy in the second round, I almost guarantee you that, that, that you don't have one guy 70 points rated ahead of another guy in the same round. 
30, 35 points. That's two points. That's two points a week. That's not a lot. If a guy gets injured, it can be a 10, 12, 15 point a week difference. So I use tiebreakers as a way to mix. And it also helps me to be the optimizer. So stacking is one. The overall build of my team is another. Do I want to do a zero running back build here or a hero running back build? There's a number of ways to break ties. And ultimately, the last tie is ownership. I use Spike Week's overlay, and I see how much I own of a player when I'm on the board. And if I have them in the same tier, I might like Chris Godwin a lot more than Mike Evans. They're not in the same tier anymore, but they were for a while. But if I have 20% Godwin and 3% Evans, do I like them that much more? So sometimes the last tiebreaker is actually how much do I own of a, a certain player? Yeah, it's important to to be using these tools. You mentioned the Spike Week tool. If I were in a state where we were doing underdog, I would probably be investing in that. But for right now, Michigan needs to get their act together. Let me tell you, Todd. I, I can't draft on drafters, so I get it. Fair Number five, what are your preferred roster construction bumpers? I think you hit on this already. Let's go to the next one. And then six, at what point is ADP value considered in your drafting process? Like you mentioned that there you you set out your how many spaces you have until your next draft selection, and then you reorganize for your tiers. But at one point is a player just the, the ADP value has fallen so far. Is there like a, a line demarcation for you that is it's 10 spots, it's 12 spots, or I'm not looking at it at all. It's just what I think this player can bring to my team. Again, it's so many factors that go into answering that question. But in general, it's the first thing I look at, right? Who made it to me that maybe shouldn't be here? And if there's someone there that made it to me that normally wouldn't be there that would enhance my team, I won't even look further. I won't look at stacks. I won't look at anything else. When I'm on the board, the first thing I after I look to see, is there any name that just jumps out at me? The second thing I'm looking at for my stacks and my correlations within my tier. If I don't see anything there, then I will go back to look at that guy who's at the top of the queue and I'll look and let's say he's his ADP is 60 and I'm pick 62. I'm like, ah, that's not enough reason to take him. I'll keep looking for another reason to make a pick. I'll look who's going to be available the next time I pick, I'll have an idea of what positionally, but if there's a guy who's eight to 10, it depends again, early in the draft two or three picks is is a is a big deal but in general I, I i always feel good if i don't have a correlation or a stack or i don't have a positional need like i know when the big drops at each position happen right so if i'm not taking a guy for that then i'll come back to the top and see oh i'm getting a seven pick discount here all right that's my best pick for here right now for before we move on to question seven, the last question, there's been a lot of chatter about 
bully quarterbacks or at least earlier quarterbacks off the board. And we've seen this relative to last year, but we've also seen a phenomenon over the last month where quarterbacks have been falling a lot. So for instance, I've seen Trevor Lawrence fall in a half dozen drafts, double digits past his ADP on underdog. At, at what point are you considering like you've already drafted Jalen hurts, but Trevor Lawrence were like, is he making sense 12 spots after ADP, even if he wasn't in your original plans? Yeah. I, I last year I was intentionally trying to do a lot of bully quarterbacks. It's harder to do it this year because the value isn't there. I recently drafted two teams that had Jalen hurts and Joe Burrow. I got value on hurts to go with AJ Brown or Devonta Smith. I think it was Brown. And then I can't, and I, but I had Chase or Higgins and then I got value on Burrow. And, and then I had another draft where I had Mahomes and Burrow and Burrow would have been a little bit of value. I had Mahomes with Higgins and Chase, but I passed on Burrow because it doesn't make sense to do it for uh, in that because the scenario I'm building for is week 17 Mahomes and later guys get me there and one of those wide receivers get there but Burrow doesn't so um I'd be hurting my EV week 17 by taking Burrow I had Hawkinson on that team so I took Aaron Jones for a Green Bay Minnesota correlation instead of adding Burrow and a couple people, maybe even you, mentioned it on Twitter. For me, it was a tough decision, but that's what I that's why I think I am who I am in this, because I'm thinking I feel like I've I, I've thought out a lot more of these kind of things ahead of time. I listen to smart people. And Justin Herzig was the one who kind of said, look, if you draft two quarterbacks both week 17 it's minus ev it makes sense but i've also had teams where i had lamar jackson and but and i had waddle and hill or one of them and tua was like a round later than adp at that point that makes up for any because you also have to get to week 17 so again it comes back to that feel it comes back to who else is on the board but training yourself to know all the factors so that you can make the most educated decision when you're on the clock is what separates the best best ball players from people who are just okay at this. All right. I love that. The, the consideration of the correlation week 17 and then comparing that to what kind of EV maybe you're losing by having those two quarterbacks together, but also gaining it if they fall significantly in ADP. The last question. So you mentioned that you have a general rule of not having more than 25% exposure to a particular player. At what point are you in your draft process thinking, you know what, I'm going to be conscious about how much I draft of this player or is there the first couple months you're just drafting based on the value and then you allow your future drafts to adjust your percentage? Or is it a hard cap at 25%? No, it's never a hard cap at 25%. And a lot of it happens naturally through tiebreakers, right? Just by mixing mixing up when you get to draft, 
I'm not reaching for players a round or two ahead. So I'm only going to get the opportunity to draft a guy probably 35 to 40%. So I guess the first thought that would go through my head is, is this a guy who I think has a reasonable chance to be at a higher ADP at a later point? So if I think it's a guy who's just a phenomenal, like Tajay Spears, I mentioned, I'm sitting on 35% Tajay Spears. It was 40% in early best ball. I just really believe in this guy. And I believe that once camp comes out, he's going to go up five, six rounds. So I might end up with only 25% Tajay Spears, but I'm going to have it at a discount. So it really depends on who the player it is, where it is in draft, who else goes around them. The, op- the opportunity cost of taking so much of that guy in case of injury. But no, it's not a hard and fast rule. It's something I tend to end up with. I would say every once in a while, I have I look at my ownership and I'll say, oh, that's a little out of balance. I really don't like player A that much, at 29%, that much more than these two guys I got at 6%. Right. So then I'll make a conscious decision to mix it up for a while. And that guy will end up sliding down to 23. The other guys slide up to 10 or 11. And I feel that that gives me an overall better chance because how much more I like a guy than another guy, it really, within a tier, I'm not that smart. And I don't know too many people who are. And, and so I'm trying to mitigate against injuries because I think injuries are more devastating to your teams than my ability to decide who's better within a tier. Yeah, taking the zeros from the injuries can be absolutely annihilating for your team. So I think you're, you're pretty sharp and rotating oh, through a lot. One, one last thing Mike early. Leone found in his manifesto mm. is that Winning these tournaments is highly correlated to how many healthy players you have. So we should stay away from the injured players, Todd. It's 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 not that. It's just yeah, even, it is. even 35% Tajay Spears makes me nervous because right. if he gets hurt and it's week 15, 16, 17, I'm going to be looking at those five running back teams. And if he's hurt and one other guy's hurt, I have a very thin chance of advancing. All right, Todd, this has been great. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be taking away a lot of golden nuggets here and improving their best ball drafting as we get into hot best ball summer. We're going to analyze some best ball teams here, Todd, just real quick, just a couple minutes left in the show tonight. There are some criteria, and I know that different best ball players will weigh each of these criteria differently, but I think all of us would agree that these five are pretty important for for how we are going to grade and evaluate how well a team is, at least in, in the offseason, how good a player actually is, whether you are stacking, whether stacking exists, how the team structures. So you mentioned roster construction, how the team is versus ADP, whether there's some ADP values or there's some massive reaches and week 17 correlation, if it's applicable in the particular tournament. I would, I would add one more important thing to that, that I think you're missing. Yeah. Waiting each position group. Mm, yes. All right. When I grade other people's drafts, the first thing I do is I go over the roster construction and then I look at 
how good each position group is. Right. Because a lot of people, they'll have eight, they'll think they did the job because they drafted eight wide receivers, but they didn't draft them. There's not enough good wide receivers there. That's the one that I always try and add. And I don't mind that you're a tough creator. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> we can we can tucker that into team structure. If that we can say roster construction sure. plus team structure. Okay, so Todd, this is one of your teams. It's oh, the, the one Jalen I Hurts. talked about. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> so it's the Jalen Hurts Joe Burrow team. You've got power quarterbacks here. Then you went Ken Walker. This is the running back group. Ken Walker, James Cook, Damian Harris, Tank Bigsby, Ty J Spears, your boy, and Pierre Strong, a fan Another favorite. Another one of my boys. Yeah, Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, then Jahan Dotson later, and then a little bit even later is Juju Smith-Schuster, followed by Sky Moore, the comeback around for Joe Burrow, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, also the comeback around, Tyquan Thornton, an upside, a high ADOT guy, same thing with Rashid Shahid, and then you've got Goddard stacking with Hertz and Trey McBride. Where are you even going wrong in this team here, Todd? Like this is this uh, is a pretty strong team. I would, I, and and this is where bully quarterback. If you get lucky, so if you look at it, I've got Hertz with Goddard and Devonta Smith. Right. The weakest part of the team is that I don't have a really good bring back week seventeen. I settled for Trey McBride. I also only have two tight ends, and Trey McBride isn't the greatest second tight end. I've got Thornton to go with my I, – I stack-cuffed James Cook and Damian Harris, figuring every week one of those guys is going to give me a usable week. And if one gets hurt, the other one could crush. I really like the running back group. Obviously, the quarterback. The, the Very little to pick on here, but those did, – I, I didn't have someone from San Francisco to go with Dotson. And... Maybe the wide receiver three slash four. I like Dotson, but some people are out on him. I He's an upside guy week yeah. to week. And Juju's a floor guy week to week. So yep. I like those. Remember I told you about combinations and how yep. I try and, you know, that. Yeah, Juju and Dotson, I think, balance each other well. Yeah, I, this is a team that. And even if you're out, like, cause some people are out on dots and are out on Juju. I just interviewed a couple people who are like, never Juju Smith Schuster, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, but you came back around with Taekwon Thornton, Rashid Shahid, who are very high upside plays here, Todd. So I like those later round selections from the wide receiver position. Yeah. I mean, this, this is a team and, and look, I draft plenty of teams that I'm not happy with, but this ain't one of them. No, this is this is looking really nice. The other one that I want to take a look at is also one from about 10 days ago. You went the opposite of your previous build, at least from the quarterback position. You went late round quarterback with Pickett, Ritter, and Garoppolo. And you had Mark Andrews. I don't see a real stack with that. You do have Bateman and Andrews as well. You've got the the correlation of Taylor and Adams. So you've got some correlation happening. Well, you've got Garoppolo some... and Adams. Garoppolo and Adams, yep. And London. But what is, is this one is not as it doesn't feel as impressive as the other one. I've got London with Foreman, yeah. Seattle with Pittsburgh, Kansas City with Cincinnati. So there's a lot of week 17 
correlations, which is good. Yeah. Pitt and Seattle is another one, Allen Robinson. What happened in this draft is that quarterbacks went quicker than I every time I wanted a quarterback, they were gone by the time I got there. And so it was I just did the best that I could. And and that's the unfortunate part of doing this. I could have reached at a couple points, but I didn't. And this team needs a lot of help. Let's be honest. It needs a lot of help. I wasn't as nearly as happy with this team, but I know at least what went wrong. And no matter how good you are at this, you can't control what the other 11 guys are going to do. But I will say that this is a team that needed three quarterbacks, only needed two tight ends. I, I stopped at five running backs because I knew I needed three quarterbacks. The eight wide receivers are pretty strong. It, it just it just got away from me a bit. Yeah, the wide receivers, I like the Rondell Moore at pick 133, ADP 148, but I've seen Rondell Moore get into the early 100s when some of the best ball, the uh, underdog yeah, drafts come in. I, did, I don't mind, and, and, but I, I don't have the board in front of me, but that could have been because a quarterback that I wanted got taken ahead of me, and I think that is what happened. That was one area where I was looking at a quarterback who just wasn't there. We, I'm just so grateful that we're able to pick your brain tonight, Todd. It's been such a pleasure having you on, going through your best ball teams, you giving some advice, and, and also talking about some risers and fallers. Todd, where can the people find the good work that you do? Uh, on Twitter at Best Ball NFL, I do a weekly article in Best Ball Show for Sharp Best Ball. I've got Mike Leone on this week. I've got Dwayne McFarland coming up. I've got Scott Barrett coming up. So if you look back at some of the old episodes, Justin Herzig, Liam Murphy, two guys who won BBM. And I look at this as my process at getting better. It's, it's not interviewing as much as it's just trying to learn from these other smart people. All right, Todd, it's been great. Thank you for joining me tonight. And as always, make sure that you're checking out the Player Profiler YouTube channel. Make sure y'all are hitting that red subscribe button. And until next time, everyone, on behalf of Todd, I'm Bradley. Good luck in the best ball streets. Hey, you like that video? Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all.